KNWO Orthopedic Sports Huddle. From the Fricker Studio. On Classic Hits 96.7 WBBI. On ESPN 1430 AM. And at 105.7 FM WFOB. The Sports Huddle is brought to you by NWO Orthopedics. Frickers. Warner Automotive. By Blanchard Valley Health System. Roto-Rooter. Bigby Coffee. By Northwestern Water and Sewer District. Wilson Tire. Grit. By MJ Brown Construction Company. Premier Bank. Campus Polyod. By Financial Design Insurance Agency. Snyder's Flooring Outlet. Ohio Automotive Supply. Seneca Millwork. Five Star Maintenance. And by the Ropey Corporation. And now. Let's go to Lance and Matt. Coming to you live from the Fricker Studio. For the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle. Welcome on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB and Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you. Thank you for making us a part of your Wednesday night for another edition of the show. Matt, how are we doing? Well, first of all, a happy Valentine's Day to everyone out there. I hope you're listening with candles lit, maybe a nice glass of wine poured. And just really enjoying the evening with us. We're we're really happy to have you on board. Thank you for making us a part of your Wednesday night and your Valentine's Day festivities. But uh, I'm doing good, man. You know, Super Bowl was interesting. Um, I'm a huge nerd, so it was a great night just because of the Deadpool 3 trailer exclusively oh, for me. That gosh. was just absolutely fantastic. I don't care if I'm giving free advertising to Marvel on that one. I'm just going to stand by it. That was good. Halftime show was phenomenal. And honestly, the game started as an absolute snooze fest, turned into a really good game at the end of it. So, well, we'll we'll get into it later on. I, I also want to know what sacrifice Kansas City made to have just the obscure, incredible luck in that second half of action. But... Hey, you know what? Hats off to the champs, back-to-back champs. Good game, fun game to watch. And speaking of good stuff and fun things, we have got a phenomenal show on deck for you guys tonight. On this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, we'll talk with Josh Morgan, sports writer for the Advertiser Tribune and a handful of other local area papers. He will join us to talk high school basketball around the area. We'll also talk with Eric Hoover, Old Fort head boys basketball coach. The Stock Gators coming off a tough loss last weekend to New Regal, but got back on track with a nice win yesterday against Genoa on the road. And we might not be physically at the Frickers in Finley, but stop in for their daily specials. Tonight, get their sirloin steak dinner. Kids eat free all day, every day at Frickers. Download the Frickers app to find them online as well at Frickers.com. Dot com and join us this coming weekend for our coverage of high school basketball. Friday on Classic Kids will have coverage of that SBC River matchup. Calvert hitting the road to take on Old Fort. Matt Brown and I have that one for you Friday night on Classic Kids 96.7. Friday on WFOB, more coverage of Fostoria basketball as they have a big one as they will be taking on Eastwood. Matt Com and Tom Grind had that Friday on WFOB and then Saturday night SBC versus BVC action. Hopewell out in going up against Riverdale. We'll have that on both stations Saturday night at about 6.30. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Josh Morgan from the Advertiser Tribune here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. At Blanchard Valley Health System, we're looking for individuals to join our family of professionals. We require compassion, dedication, and the desire to make a difference in a fast-paced healthcare environment. 
Jobs are available in clinical and support services. We offer competitive wages and benefits. The culture of BVHS is unique and rewarding. Visit bvhealthsystem.org backslash careers to search our current openings. Blanchard Valley Health System, we're here for you. Getting the kids to practice on time. Remembering if it's your day to bring snacks. Making it to the game with a clean jersey. Why are simple things sometimes so complicated? Thankfully, with auto owners, insurance doesn't have to be one of them. Auto Owners works with independent agents who answer when you call, so you can worry about more important things, like whether your kid is going to run toward first or third base. That's simple human sense. Ask Financial Design Insurance Agency in New Regal if Auto Owners make sense for you. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB Classic. It's 96.7 WBVI. Matt Common here with you until 7.30. We're now pleased to be joined by Josh Morgan, sports writer for the Advertiser Tribune and other area papers here in the Fricker Zoom Room. Josh, how you doing? Good, guys. How you doing? We're doing good. Thank you again for uh, taking the time to talk with us in an actual official capacity, as you know, just opposed to us uh, chit-chatting before the game. It's good to catch up. Absolutely. Always good to talk to you guys. So for you, you've, of course, seen, I mean, probably as much, if not more, than basketball uh, than, you know, just about anybody else around the area. What can you kind of just say about the overall state of boys and girls basketball kind of across the Northwest Ohio area? Just like every year, I think it's pretty solid. I mean, you got, you know, a slew of teams, you know, not only boys, but also girls that, you know, I think definitely have a chance to definitely win district titles and regional titles and maybe make a run at, uh, you know, state and state titles. I mean, you know, you got your normal teams like the Ottawa Glendorfs and you got a team like Hopewell out in boys that's having a great year, Calvert and Old Four boys. Uh, you know, it's just great basketball in the area. It's you never know what to expect any night you go out. Something spectacular could happen. And, you know, you've seen a lot of that this year and a lot of good teams, a lot of good individuals, too. Yeah. And Josh, uh, first of all, we, we need to correct the uh, introduction just a little bit. One of, if not our absolute favorite local beat writers and sports writers. That, and that sounds a lot better. I, I, <laughs> one of the premier ones in the area, if I do say so myself. I appreciate but, um, it. Uh, to, to go along with that, I mean, some of the teams that you've seen, that the, you've, you send us your schedule pretty regularly, and it's just a, I, I don't envy your gas bill <laughs> or your car, the amount of traveling that you do back and forth between the different areas. It, it, are there any teams that you can think of offhand that really surprised you this year in terms of maybe they're just taking a big leap from last year to this year or maybe taking a big regression? in some regard, because it, it does feel like this year there's been a few of those teams as well that have either come out of nowhere or really fallen back to earth in a big way. Yeah, I think, you know, the one that kind of stands out to me, and I think we kind of expected it, so I'm not sure it'll answer your question, is Hopewell's boys. I mean, they just returned, you know, a nice chunk of talent, the Creus kid, uh, Braylon Martinez, Donovan Elmore, and, you know, they're at the top of the league this year. You know, we kind of thought between them, Old Fort and Calvert, you know, maybe it would be a three-way split again this year. And, you know, it started out that way, but Hopeless kind of separated themselves um, as that team that's kind of stood out. Um, uh, State ranked for the first time this week. They were number 10 in Division IV's poll this year. And, you know, it's going to be a dogfight for that Liberty Benton district. But, you know, it'd be hard to say that they're not the favorites to win that district. Uh, And if you talk about a team that's, you know, I hate to even bring them up as regressing, but, 
Uh, I think Fall Story Girls, you know, really had high expectations this year. Again, same thing, a lot of talent back from a team that won 20 games. And uh, they've dealt with some injuries. You know, the uh, new coach and Derek Angelone, who's doing a great job, just they haven't quite hit their peak. Um, you know, they they battled a really good Toledo Christian team to five points uh, earlier this week and uh, might be hitting their stride as the tournament comes on. Uh, they're in a really loaded district. But those are two of the teams that kind of stand out. You know, I think Foster Ray girls are putting it together and Hopewell boys have been tremendous this year. <laughs> Talking with Josh Morgan, sports writer for the AT. And of course, as Matt said, one of our favorite beat writers around the area here on the NWO Orthopedics. Sports Huddle, and, and we've been asking coaches, but we'll ask uh, ask your perspective on it as well with uh, the rule changes for the getting rid of the one-and-ones and having the bonus start at five uh, each quarter. What has your perspective been on that rule change, and are you you know in favor of it, or would you like to see it altered in some way, shape, or form, or do you like it as it is? You know, I kind of like the way they kind of went to it. Uh, you know, first couple of games, it was definitely interesting. But I think as the season gone on, you've seen some strategy with it. Uh, you know, typically at the end of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter, you know, you wouldn't be fouling for certain situations because it's a cumulative total in the first half the way it used to be and in the second half. But, you know, I guess, at, you know, at the end of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter, if you're trying to get a couple of extra possessions, or if you know the other team has a kid that really can't shoot it very well, you know, you can use those fouls and get them into the free throw line. You know, if a kid's only shooting 40% from the foul line, you know, foul him, you know, 30 seconds to go. And if he misses both or only makes one out of two, that gives you an extra possession, you know, and before you wouldn't do that, because like I said, you're trying to keep those fouls because they keep their cumulative total in the second and fourth quarter. So uh, it's been different. Um, I think of the coaches I've talked to, I think most kind of like it the way it is now. Um, I don't think it had a huge impact like a lot of people thought it would, but um, you know, I've had games this year where I've had 50 combined free throws and I've had games where I've had 10 combined free throws. So um, that, uh, that aspect really hasn't changed. I don't think. And, and Josh, with that rule change, the one thing that I seem to have noticed oh, is the level of aggressive play certainly seems to have ratcheted up. So from, from my perspective, it seems as if one of the rationales behind the rule change may have actually received the opposite effect of, oh, we're trying to, with the one-on-one, one-on-ones, eliminate a little bit more of the aggressive foul shot play, things like that. Just seems like it's kind of ratcheted up a little bit. Have you noticed an, an uptick in the like good, clean, but at the same time hard fouls or like aggressive fouls happening as the game goes on? It, it certainly seems, at least it's from my perspective, that it's peaked a little bit. No, I think that's a good point, Matt. It kind of goes back to that first and third quarter thing, you know. You always wanted to keep the fouls low because you had a whole nother quarter um, where they continue to accumulate, but if you only have one team foul with a minute to go in the first quarter or the third quarter, you know, you can, you can commit a couple fouls and not send the team to the foul line, knowing that they're going to reset, you know, at the beginning of the second quarter when it comes to the first half and then the fourth quarter in the second half. So you can be a little more aggressive, especially, you know, if you're in the third quarter and you're down seven or eight points with a minute to go in the third quarter and the other team's only got, or you only have one team foul, you know, you can be aggressive and go for those steals knowing that the fouls are going to reset at the beginning of the fourth quarter, you know, you might get an extra possession or two or a couple extra shots out of it when you're like that. So I think that's a good point, Matt. You can, you can be a little more aggressive knowing that the fouls reset to zero at the beginning of the second and the fourth quarter. 
Uh-huh. It's the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI. ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM WFOB. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with Josh Morgan, sports writer and one of our favorite writers with the Advertiser Tribune and some other area papers. And you already mentioned Fostoria girls, but I know you and Matt both have had you know, a lot of uh, back and forth with the Fostoria boys side, and you also, of course, are a Fostoria alum. So what has it been like, you know, watching the boys uh, be as great as they have this year? Still, of course, could uh, could possibly win their uh, conference, and still, of course, we'll see what they uh, do in the postseason. But what has that been like for you to uh, see that uh, take place over over this uh, the course of the season? I tell you what, that's one of the most enjoyable teams to watch. They're just, you know, they bring the excitement. They bring the energy every time I've seen them play. And Coach Tom Loomis has been a longtime friend. Uh, Tom kindly reminds me that he was my third grade PE teacher some (laughs) 25 years ago, but I have no recollection of that. But I'll take his word for it. But, uh, you know, just a great team. Um, You know, they've had a couple of close losses this year. You know, I was at Genoa last week and up by 10 in the fourth quarter and just couldn't quite finish it. And uh, the loss to Eastwood on the road, it was an offensive rebound. As time was expiring, a three-pointer to tie it for Eastwood and then Foster lost in overtime. But uh, enough about the bad, you know, definitely good. They're, like I said, a great team. They're in position to possibly win a league title. Uh, Not sure the exact year, but I want to say it was probably about 2009, maybe the last time they won a league title. I was just out of high school um, and a really nice team won then. So, uh, I got to take care of business. They have a huge one against Eastwood on Friday at home. You know, hopefully the community will come out and support them. Um, got a pair of thousand point scorers on the team, Makai Johnson and Jordan Ferguson. Uh, Makai just became the all-time leading scorer in Foster history last Saturday against Van Buren. So two great players, great team, great coach. Uh, you know, like I said, hopefully this, the community will get out and support them this week and uh, give them a little support as they chase a league title. On a side note, thank you for the shout out during the game about Makai Johnson closing in on breaking the all-time record this past Saturday. That was uh, much appreciated as the fine folks at Fostoria kind of forgot to mention that as we were getting <laughs> set up for the broadcast. But uh, sp- sticking with Fostoria for a little bit, because the w- one thing I've noticed time and time again, there- there's so much ink about the players at like Janela. There's a lot of ink about Colin White, and rightly so. And a lot of hype and a lot of respect and admiration for what they do on the court going to those guys. Could you make an argument that Makai Johnson and Jordan Ferguson may be two of the most underappreciated stars in Northwest Ohio at this time? Absolutely. I think you can make that argument. You know, they're both, as far as I know, they both have intentions to play in college and will, you know, obviously do well in college, I believe. And, Uh, Like I said, both thousand point scorers, Uh, you know, I think they both play pretty high level AAU and summer stuff. Uh, I think Jordan plays with the Ohio Buckets, uh, which is a a typically pretty traditional AAU program in the summer and the spring. So, um, you know, I think their two players maybe haven't quite gotten their dues. Um, You know, I think they both have, you know, big goals in mind this season still to win a league title um, you know, they'll be on their home court for a sectional final with a chance to go to the Liberty Benton Division II district. So they'll be assumedly favored to win that. So uh, I think they have big goals in mind and that kind of motivates them sometimes too. And, you know, like I said, going after the first league title since they were probably kindergartners or that age. So uh, I think there's a lot of fuel and focus for them guys. 
This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Frickers Studios. Lance Morris, Matt Common, talking with Josh Morgan, sports writer for the AT and other area papers. We mentioned some of the boys' teams, but on the girls' side, who have been some of the uh, players and or teams you've been uh, really impressed with throughout uh, the season up to this point? I think when you talk girls' basketball in the area, the first one you have to talk about is Lauren Gherkin from uh, Liberty Ben. I almost said from Bowling Green State University, but not quite. Not yet. Not yet. Uh, Give her a couple more months and she'll be there. But, you know, division one player, you know, probably has a chance to be some sort of like a Miss Basketball finalist this year. Um, like I said, heading to Bowling Green next year. Uh, Liberty Benton, I think 15 wins this year already. Number two seed in their district. So another great year for Lauren and, and the Eagles uh, under first year head coach Chad Lieb too. So I uh, didn't really miss a beat when Nate Urban resigned, focused a little bit more on uh, his family time and Coach Leeb's come in and, like I said, great year. You know, their their schedule, you know, I feel like there was a string there for a while where I only saw them in losses, but that's because they were playing, I don't know, they played like three or four state-ranked teams in a matter of five games. So uh, they're going to be battle-tested when they get in the tournament. So they're having a great year. Uh, you know, if you go smaller school, you know, schools like Old Fort and Calvert, kind of coming on strong, having a solid year. Um, you know, Gibsonburg a little bit out of the area, but Gibsonburg state ranked and, you know, a really good season this year. And like I said, Fostoria is, you know, Fostoria is right there around that 10-11 mark, uh, 10 or 11 win mark and kind of coming on strong, see if they can put some pieces together now that Alicia Middlebrooks is back from an injury. So again, a lot of good basketball in the area this year. You know, we have great players. It's go out and support them and go out and watch some good basketball every night. You can find a game for sure. And, you know, not to step away from basketball for just a second, but just kind of sports in general for Northwest Hawks. I know you cover a wide variety of sports. One of the things, going back to a similar question with Makai Johnson and Jordan Ferguson here, but just Northwest Ohio in general, do, do you feel that Northwest Ohio from a statewide perspective is starting to get the credit that it deserves or the respect that it deserves from other beat writers, other reporters, people in terms of the all Ohio votes? It, it it's felt like for years that they've kind of been left out type of situation. And now it seems like it's starting to pick up some steam. Are, are you noticing that too? Or is it still a little bit of a kind of got to raise our hands and scream that we're here and that we're actually pretty good in Northwest Ohio? Yeah, I, I see your point there, Matt. Definitely. You know, I think back, you know, even when I was in high school, which I don't want to say how many years ago that was, but um, I'm I'm sure it's less <laughs> than mine. That's been my experience with everybody. That's 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 accurate. But you know, I think back. You know, like I said, when I was in school, you know, I was in school right around the time of John Diebler and William Buford, who went to play at Ohio State. Uh, you know, and Ohio and Northwest Ohio was getting a lot of recognition. You know what what Keith Diebler was able to do at Upper Sandusky, obviously with John and Jake Diebler, and I felt like for a while it kind of got away. And you know, you, you know, you look at the state rankings. You know, there's some Northwest teams scattered or in there a little bit, um, but I feel like Division Four is pretty strong in our area. You know, I think Columbus Grove played for a title a couple years ago. Uh, if you go a little south, you'll see like the Delta St. John's kind of schools and. Obviously, Ottawa Glendorf has been on the map since forever, it feels like. So, um, yeah, I definitely see your point there. You know, a lot of it's based on what you do at the regional and state level and how much acknowledgement you get from that. So, you know, Ottawa Glendorf playing for the title the last couple of years. You know, we'll see if like a Finley can make a run in Division One this year. Obviously, having a, a humongous year, see if they can make a run and kind of represent Northwest Ohio pretty good. 
This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Lance Morris, Matt Common, talking with Josh Morgan, sports writer for the Advertiser Tribune and other area papers. Kind of going hand-in-hand with some of the players that we've been talking about. Who have been some of kind of the coaches that you've been impressed with? Maybe it's a single game or just kind of over their more body-of-work type thing. Who are some of those uh, coaches that stand out in that way? You know, the one that I just mentioned a couple minutes ago, you know, Chad Lee, you know, Nate Irwin won. Nate was close to probably 400 wins at Liberty Benton, you know, state title, regional titles. And Chad has just stepped in and just taken over that program. And they've been just as good this year. You know, um, my interactions with Coach Lee has been great. You know, I think he's a, a great guy, a great interview, um, and he's doing a great job there. So, you know, that one kind of stands out as he's not skipped a beat. And, you know, like I said, just a minute ago, Finley, Jim Brucky felt like he's been there forever. And, you know, this is probably one of the best teams, if not the best team he's had in all his years at Finley High School. Uh, I think 18 and two, they are something like that. They have two losses um, to Whitmer and Shelby, which are tremendous teams as well. So uh, Coach Rucky is continuing to do a great job of just explosive team. And again, see if they can make some noise here in the tournament in a couple of weeks. So yeah, we were blessed with some with some really good coaches in the area, you know, and I'm going to skip over a million that I should mention, but um, a lot of coaches doing a lot of good things in the area. And, you know, it's always appreciated from my perspective and probably you guys too, those coaches that just help you out when they need to or when you need them to and great interviews, make their kids available for everything. You know, that's that's the coaches I really appreciate, not the ones that you got to bug a hundred times to get one thing from. So and we got a lot of the great coaches in our area. We're really blessed with some good coaches that do everything they can to help us media out a lot. Well, no surprise that the list of good coaches you had are the ones that are readily available. Is <laughs> that uh, when, when uh, whenever we're seeing you at a game, they're conveniently the ones talking to you, the ones you just name dropped. So that that's good. That's a good job not biting the hand that feeds on that one, there, Josh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, as, speaking of coaches, you mentioned some of the ones that have stood out and I could do the, the reverse of that, have any giving you pause for concern or maybe might not be the best fit. I, I guess I will, I'll ask this question then instead, has anyone that you've seen so far started to enter the conversation of Roger jury levels of animated on the sideline? Uh, I did have Keith Diebler in a game this year. Does that count? That does count. That's fair. That, that's complete. Uh, that that is fair. No, Keith is Keith is one of a kind. That's for sure. And so is Roger Jury. But no, Keith Diebler is another one of those. Uh, I actually made a post. I got to interview him, and uh, Keith was my middle school principal some twenty three years ago. And you know, that's one of the coaches that I've known the longest. And that's when Tom Loomis conveniently reminded me that he was my third grade PE teacher, which I still don't remember, but. I'll take Tom's word for it, but, you know, and, and you know, I should give Tom a good shout out on that one, not just because we're friends, but, you know, Tom's one of those coaches that anything I need from him, he's there, you know, answers emails, answers texts. Uh, you know, I got to see him the other night when uh, the girls played Toledo Christian. It's just, it's good to say hi. You know, I didn't need to interview him for anything. It's just, hi, you know, how you doing? How's everything? So yeah, Tom Loomis is definitely among those uh, coaches I really appreciate too. And another one uh, for for you, uh, just it's sticking with that kind of theme of, you know, good things we've been able to see. What have been some of the uh, favorite venues you've been at? I know you had a list, I think, like maybe a week or so ago of like all the different schools you've hit or like are going to hit at some point over these next few years. What are some of the uh, favorite venues you've uh, been at over these uh, seasons as well? 
Yeah, I think my list, and I, I think it's complete. I don't know. I go to Davy one and check, and you know, your your tournament games take you to different places. And there's been some high school gyms that I've been to for just volleyball, you know. But uh, I am up to about 115, which you know, I think, well, that's a lot. But then I remember there's like 900 high schools in Ohio, so. <laughs> Um, if that was ever a thing, it'll take me a really long time. But, um, you know, I love some of the venues in our area, you know, not because it's my alma mater, but I love going to Faustoria for basketball. Uh, the other night, I didn't tell you guys this, but the other night when I was there for the girls game, I was actually up where they put the radio at, right where uh, Matt and Tom Grind were Saturday night when they played Van Buren. That's the first time I'd ever watched a game up there, you know, just kind of wanted to switch it up and sit somewhere else. And it was fun. It's an interesting view of the game, isn't it? It is. It, I had a little issue seeing the clock here and there, uh, and I kind of felt like I had to like almost tip myself out and fall just to see the stuff down on the baseline below me. But outside of that, it was good. Yeah, I, I, I will agree with that. <laughs> I, I want to figure out who it is who we can talk to at Faustoria about the scoreboard, because it's just that one hoop, just the one hoop that's yeah. up. If yep. they could just like adjust it, maybe like five feet down it'll be fine. It's yeah. just, it's just perfectly right there. Depending on where you sit, it's either blocking the whole thing <laughs> or just the time or the score. It, I sympathize. Yeah. I sympathize there. Yeah. It was a little hard to see. And, you know, I just asked uh, Brittany Loomis, who was one of the assistant coaches and obviously Thomas, her dad, if they've thought about putting like the expanded scoreboards in there with the sides that have the points and everything. And they've talked about it, you know, we'll see what happens, but that would just make that venue even better. But you know, I love going. I haven't been to Finley High School in a while. I'll be there later this week when they play Perrysburg. And, you know, I think Liberty Benton's great. You know, if you come over to this Tiffin area, you know, I love Old Fort just because half of the seats have backs on them like bleachers. And as I get older, that feels good on my back to be able to lean back. But, um, yeah, Old Fort's nice. New Regal's kind of that small, compacted, everybody's right on the court feel to it. So, man, I just love some of our area basketball gyms and it's always fun to see what your week brings and where you'll go and new places you'll travel. And with those uh, venues as well, that of course usually is followed suit by student sections. And Josh, you're a pretty recognizable guy in the community. So do you have any uh, good student section interactions or stories that you've acquired over this season or maybe in years past that really stand out to you? Oh man, there's there's a million of them. Some of them I probably can't say on the radio or ever repeat out loud. But <laughs> well, let, let's save those for the after ten o'clock version. Of the All show. right, that'll be probably a good time for deal. Yeah, but you know, any school that comes out and supports their their team, you know, the students, uh, you know, I like Creative Chance. You know, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the Let's Play Football or Just Like Football because that has absolutely no impact on the basketball game. It's probably not even the same kids. Um, or when they really get creative and they really pull like a random sport out, like just like tennis. Now that one I can laugh at, or let's play bowling or something, you know, that's funny. But, um, you know, I, re I remember a couple of years ago, uh, Christy Copanis, who used to work at WTOL, walked in and uh, I think it was Eastwood and Faustoria boys, maybe. And one of the Eastwood students said, have a sign that said, I love Christy, you know, Christy, a good friend and kind of made her blush a little bit. But, you know, anything that, you know, raucous and gets rowdy and gets loud and, you know, they can have an impact on the game, that's for sure, if they make enough noise. And, 
uh, get rowdy enough, I guess. So anybody that comes out and supports is my favorite. You know, I don't want to see seven kids in the student section. I'd rather see like a hundred kids. Uh, it's good for the kids. It's good for the team. It's it's great for the environment. Like I was talking about fall story basketball later this week. I'm hoping that the students and the fans and the parents and the community gets out and supports them as they go for a league title. And then another question I have for you is, as great as high school sports are, it's not without, you know, some blemishes here and there. And some of these things, of course, can't be changed or it would be very, very hard to change. But what's something that you would like to see happen, whether it's, you know, football having less playoff teams like they used to be or having the games on Fridays and Saturdays. And sometimes that's happened and sometimes that hasn't. But what what would be something or maybe even a handful of things that you would like to see changed or altered in some way in terms of high school sports overall? Um, you know, I think kind of there's two that kind of stand out to me that I've been kind of dealing with lately. And that's and I don't know if you guys saw my post. It's the start time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my goodness. This week I have five different start times because of being varsity only. Uh, originally two quarters of JV and then it went to varsity only. And you throw in freshman games for the bigger schools. Just some sort of consistency. I mean, I'm among those that would prefer the earlier, the better, just because of the deadlines we have as sports writers. Um, you know, if I can get there on time, I'm okay. If we start at like five o'clock, I mean, I know that's hard for parents and stuff, but, uh, the more time we have to write as sports writers to get more information in the, in the paper is the better for us. Uh, and the other one that stands out is how they, and I don't know how much you guys have looked into it. You probably have is these brackets, you know, we've done away with quote unquote sectional sites. So now everybody hosts one tournament game. So, you know, for somebody that, for me, that writes for five different papers and you take, you know, it looks like a school or a, a paper like the Courier, the Courier covers, let's say 20 or 25 schools. You only have a staff of maybe you could get three, four, five writers. That's so many schools that are going to be uncovered in sectional final games. Um, that was just kind of annoying to see that. Um, I think for the girls sectional final coming up here in about a week and a half, I think Ottawa Glandorf girls moved theirs up to two o'clock. I think they have something going on that evening. So that's going to get covered. You know, I kind of wish it was up to the host site on what time they played. But if you go and look at not only for girls, but also for boys, the sectional final night, there's going to be 80 games around Northwest Ohio. And that's really rough for us sports writers. And for you guys with the radio too, you know, you can only be in one or two places as radio and, you know, it'll probably be all hands on deck for us sports writers. So a little annoyed by that. I kind of wish it was one of those where there was two games at every site or they could dictate what time they played. You know, I guess if you play in the afternoon, that gives teams a chance to scout or you can go scout in the evening. But uh, just a little uh, upset that everybody's going to play at seven o'clock on, I think it's they're both Fridays or Saturdays. So a little annoyed by that, but that's what I would change if I was in charge. Yeah, I'm going to speak for myself as well on that one, Josh. I can't stand the start times, the way they bounce around. I I mean, it it is a, it is a decent commute from my undisclosed location in the greater Cleveland area yeah. to northwest Ohio. And that that's something that I'm I'm with you a thousand percent kind of frost me to no end. And I, I am curious your thoughts. Obviously, you just mentioned them pretty decently there, but maybe a little bit deeper of your thoughts on the changes to the sectional round. I, I kind of feel like it was a kind of caught some people off guard the, Oh yeah. Each team gets a home game. Really? I mean, it's the, that was kind of one of the things was you go to neutral sites and you kind of get to really 
get to be in some of the bigger venues really from the jump. Is is that something that you think is you you mentioned already just from timing, but even from the aspects of the game or the excitement of the game in postseason basketball, is that another part that may have gotten lost a little bit with the changes? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, the way they had it before with the sectionals and stuff like you mentioned. I was fine with that, and even this year, you know, when they first said, you know, it's sectionals are going to be hosted by higher seeded teams. My initial thought was that's fine. You know, we'll still have the double headers, which you know, if you get certain double headers, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. You get three or all four of those teams in a double header in your coverage area. You know, you're knocking out four teams in your coverage area at one site. So I kind of thought like those top four seeds, depending on how everybody plays themselves on the bracket, you know, a four seed would host, you know, a double header. There would be a game in front of them and then a game, you know, their game. So I just, like I said, everybody playing at the same time on the same night, um, not, like I said, not only for girls, but for boys, uh, just it's going to cut out a lot of coverage for us. You know, I guess it, it works better for the teams and the players and the OHSAA, but just looking at it, I mean, I have a document on my computer here that, you know, like it's going to be, it's like 60 games on like the Friday of boys sectionals, just because everybody's at a different site. So it's just upsetting. Wish we could get a little more coverage, but, you know, they did what was best or what they voted on and us media kind of have to do what we can do best that night. And then uh, last one I believe I have for you, Josh, is what would be, and this probably is going to be hard considering, I don't know how many stories, if you even know how many stories you've written over the years, what would be your favorite or maybe favorite handful of stories you've gotten to write, whether it was for, you know, a team heading to a state title or a team that won a state title or even just some miscellaneous piece from over the years? What are one of or some of those stories that kind of come to mind? Uh, you know, how many stories I've written over the year that that would be a good question it's a big number but um you know I've had you know I've definitely had some great memories you know fortunate in my position to be assigned stuff um kind of out of the area but uh, the first year Monroeville volleyball won a, a regional title um they were down two sets to none actually to Macomb you know that's kind of that's close to our area here and down two sets to none against Dave Reinhardt and the Macomb teams about 10 years ago and came from two nothing down and double set point down to, to win it. And, uh, you know, it kind of went good. The headline just worked perfect. The number one stunner, which I guess was a hip hop song back then at that time. And just kind of worked out. So, uh, and then a few years later, uh, Clyde football went in the state title, uh, as an eight seed, which was only the second time in history an eight seed had won the state title. Just, kind of got to cover them a couple times in the regular season and then just kind of I got thrown on the beat and I was there all five of their playoff games and did five preview stories uh did a feature story on a Clyde kid that overcome cancer and got to write a column when it was all done so uh those are a couple things that have been framed for me for my birthday or Christmas Father's Day whatever they were and still uh, in my living room mantle to this day I still see them and kind of walk over to that part of the living room and kind of start reading them again and kind of enjoy it and you know I've had great memories you know this year's Calvert volleyball team and the state title team from 2020 you know got to cover all those and just kind of you make those memories you make those relationships and you want to see I'm one of those that loves to see local teams win you know I, I grew up and have worked for some bosses that you know they're ready for local teams to lose to move on to the next thing and I'm not one of those I want to if we could have every team and or uh, all four of the 
basketball state champions be from our coverage area, that would be perfect in my book. So uh, I've been fortunate to cover a lot of things over the years and always appreciate the the coaches, the players, the fans, the athletic directors, and, and my bosses for trusting me with all those assignments. And the million dollar question, Josh, when is the incredibly in-depth entertaining article about Lance and myself coming out? Um, I just wondering when that's going to happen as hopefully, well. Hopefully sooner than later. I, I, I'm going to hold you to that. Hold you to that. <laughs> it would be quite the story. It would be at least probably 10,000 words or uh, four or five pictures. I was assuming just an entire entire copy of the AT. Just Oh, the whole paper, not even one page? <laughs> if you're going to tell it, you got to tell it right. Lord, I don't even know how many words that would be. <laughs> You guys would have to talk, not that you guys couldn't, but I was going to say you'd have to talk my ear off for a couple hours, but I think you two could do that. If if anyone could, I think it's us. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. And I already got some photos. I mean, I got, I know I, I still have one. I think it's on my phone, either on my phone or my iPad from us at Bowling Green the night Calvert played St. Ursula. And oh, speaking yeah. of Speaking of, you know, biggest memories that, you know, I look back on that and you guys remember that that was probably the best volleyball match I covered all year. That yeah. was an incredible, incredible atmosphere that night and uh, a humongous win for Calvert, which kind of springboarded them towards that tournament run and a state finals appearance. But yeah, I, I think I got some few photos that we could start with on that article, Matt. Well, see, we're already hitting the ground running. That's all I needed to hear. Everybody listening, look out for that in the future someday. On that note, this has been Josh Morgan, sports writer, and much much others for different area papers. Thank you once again, Josh, for taking the time to talk with us, and we'll catch up and see you sometime shortly, probably. Appreciate you guys. Hopefully to see you a couple times before basketball ends here. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk with Old Fort Head Boys basketball coach Eric Hoover here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. Everyday values are at only one place, Frickers. Monday, boneless frickin' chicken wings. Tuesday, traditional frickin' chicken wings. Wednesday is all about that steak. Thursday, frickin' chicken chunks. Frickers, where kids 10 and under eat free every day. Remember, draft beer specials, everyday values, and kids eat free every day. The home for money-saving value is the home for fun, food, sports, and spirits, Frickers. Morgan Advanced Materials has had a great 2023, and as the semiconductor industry soars, so does the demand for our products. The Fostoria Performance Carbon Division is scaling up our operations and expanding. We'd like you to be a part of our innovative team. Morgan Advanced Materials is hiring for multiple positions, including industrial and quality engineers, electrical controls engineers, capital projects engineers, EH&S generalists, and electrical project engineers. So come join our team that produces state-of-the-art electrical carbon products that are vital for our future economy. Are you ready to make an impact? impact? Make your mark on future generations? So apply today and join our team at Morgan Advanced Materials located in Faustoria, Ohio. Call us at 419-889-1300 or head to morganadvancedmaterials.com to launch a career that strives to make this world a better place. 
Seneca Millwork is now hiring. They have a starting pay of $18.04 an hour with a raise to $18.31 after 90 days with a shift differential of $0.25 cents an hour for the third shift. Seneca Millwork offers medical, vision, dental, life insurance, and a 401k contribution. Apply online at SenecaMillwork.com or apply online through Indeed. Come work at Seneca Millwork, located at 300 Court Place in Faustoria, Seneca Millwork, part of the Ropey Holding Company family. Welcome back on into this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic Hits 96.7, WBVI, Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night. We're now pleased to be joined by Old Fort Head Boys basketball coach Eric Hoover here in the Frickers Zoom Room. You can, of course, cheer their matchup on Friday night when they take on Calvert for round two of that matchup in the SBC River. Coach, how you doing? I'm good. So for you, as we, uh, you know, start to get near the end of the regular season, you know, postseason brackets, of course, came out uh, over the weekend. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But kind of what was the what's kind of the overall feeling you have, you know, for your team as we, you know, start to get tail end of the regular season, uh, getting closer into the postseason? Um, well, I mean, we've got off to a good start. We uh, kind of struggling a little bit right now. Honestly, we found hit a little slump here mid-season we lost some close ones um, a couple weeks ago uh, had a tough weekend with Hopewell and Margareta both very outstanding teams and we just came up a little short in both games um, so that was I think disappointing um, it kind of carried over into into the next week also so uh, you know we've had some Injury problems we've been dealing with for a while, and uh, I think hopefully we're starting to get healthy again and um, can kind of get our get our mojo back and, and uh, get some confidence rolling here going into the tournament. And, Coach, obviously you've had uh, some tough back and forths as of late. Um, Want to talk a little bit of a positive note, though. We were just recently at the game against, um, Foster, uh, against New Regal. My apologies. On that one, um, where it was named the Brugemeyer Gymnasium. Can you talk a little bit about his impact on the team, on the community, on the school as getting a gymnasium named after you? Obviously, quite the honor for anyone, but it really seems like it uh really seems like it hit home with the folks at Old Fort. Yeah, he he I mean, John Brugemeyer was there for 40 years, and you know, he was Old Fort Athletics and he was prominent throughout. You know, not only the Northwest District, but State of Ohio as an athletic director. So, you know, he hosted a lot of tournaments. And so he, you know, got to know a lot of different officials and coaches and everybody else and ran a, ran a top notch uh, tournament. And, and everybody loved, loved being there. Um, he just cared a lot about the community and about all the, all the athletic programs. Um, and, you know, really did. A great job of promoting everyone um, in, in every program, and you know it was he was started back in a time when there were there weren't even a lot of of girls sports, you know, and, and did a great job of promoting those also, you know, as as that was coming up. So, um, you know, he was just you know well known and and uh, did a lot for a lot of different people, and you know, just you could always tell how much he cared about the teams and the kids and you know, in the community. And that really, uh, you know, goes a long way in our, in our, in our community and, and everybody loved them. And, 
Um, unfortunately, I think the kids now they don't. It's been long enough that they don't. They didn't know him. You know, it was their parents and and that went to school that that knew him. Um, so they're only hearing secondhand. But um, it's great that that we're able to honor the honor him uh, by naming that gym uh, after him, and certainly certainly well deserved. Along with Old Ford Head Boys basketball coach Eric Hoover here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Frickers Studios. As you kind of alluded to, tough loss uh, over the weekend uh, against New Regal. What were some of the the positives and negatives you uh, saw from your team in that one? Um, well, we we came out not ready to play. It was uh, we just we played no defense in the first half. I mean, we just we thought it was open gym. I think uh, we just let them do whatever they wanted, and they got. Beat us in back in transition, which is just strictly effort, you know, continuously in the first quarter. And, uh, uh, you know, it was just, I don't know. We just were not not into the game for whatever reason. I, I don't know. Um, and uh, finally, we, we did get going in the second half, at least, and, and we're able to kind of play a little more up to our standards and, and pace. And we got it from like 22 points down to six. Uh, but it was just, you know, too little, too late. We, we had dug ourselves too big of a hole. So I was I was glad with the way they, you know, came out and competed in the second half. But, um, you know, just you can't put yourself in that big a hole and not being ready to go at any point, especially against a, a team like New Regal, who has, you know, done well um, against a lot of good teams. And they've been in every game. You know, they, I think they've lost five, but they've been in every game and, and they've had a chance to win. So. Um, you know, you just can't uh, can't get away with that. Um, you know, our our just our our uh, our body language just wasn't good, and you know, we did have some more sickness going around, but that's you know everybody deals with that, and we just didn't handle it well. So, uh, like, hopefully we're learned from that, and uh, you know, we're able to get through adverse situations better than we did that night. And it did seem, Coach. Obviously, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with your description of the. The game just seemed like a very rough first half for you guys. But t- two positives that I took away from that game for you were the play of Adelsberger and Ernsberger, both of them having very solid nights while Isaiah Perez struggling a little bit from the floor in that game. Can, can you talk about what you saw out of them in particular? I got to imagine that gave you some more po- positive feelings, some more optimism going in towards postseason play, being able to get, I believe, between the two of them, 32 combined points out of them for the evening. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Connor's been very consistent for us all year. I mean, for the last two years, honestly, he's been probably our most, most consistent player. And you know what you're going to get. And he's a, he's a competitor, um, you know, and he's going to find a way to make things happen, you know, one way or another, he's going to make some things happen. And is very productive for us, both offensively and defensively. So, you know, we count on that consistency and uh, he was able to really, you know, keep us in the game and give us a chance there when other people were struggling. Uh, Ryan, it was good to see him get back. You know, he's been out for, he missed seven, eight games, I think. Uh, You know, it was kind of impartial for some of those because he had a little fracture in his foot. Um, So we're letting that heal up for a while. And uh, just kind of been working him back in slowly um, to try to, you know, get it full strength going into the postseason. But the first seven games, he was our leading scorer. You know, he's shooting outstanding from the three-point line and doing a lot of good things. And so it's just been a little bit of a 
slow getting him back in there after a month off. Uh, so it was great to see him come out and uh, um, and get going again, and um, you know, because we're going to need him uh, full strength coming here to the end of the season. This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Classic Hits 96.7 WBVI ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM WFOB Lance Morris, Matt Common, talking with Old Ford Head Boys basketball coach Eric Hoover. And another thing we've been curious in uh, talking with different coaches is kind of just the thoughts on the uh, getting rid of the one-and-ones and the bonus starting at uh, five fouls each quarter. We've heard the glowing reviews. We've heard the not-so-glowing reviews. Uh, where would you kind of say you stand on uh, the new rules uh, that have taken place throughout this season? I don't. I don't mind it. I mean, it doesn't doesn't bother me. I think it's a little more difficult to maybe get back in the game, uh, following at the end, um, which I think, in my mind, leads you more towards a more towards a shot clock, uh, which they've been talking about, but uh, they haven't haven't quite got there yet. And I know other states do it, so I mean that would be my next thing. If that's what we're going to do, we need to we need to move that way and implement the shot clock. Um, honestly, they don't they don't call a lot of fouls, so you don't you don't end up in the with the two fouls often. Um, you know, it's a little more they allow a little more maybe than what they used to. I mean, every once in a while you'll get a game where that's not the case, but for the most part, we don't end up with you know shooting them or or in foul trouble shooting you know with the other team shooting them for the most part. Random games that way, so I don't think it's had a had a overly large impact. You know, it does change your strategy, of course, a little bit at the end of quarters. If you have some people out there who aren't in any foul trouble, who can give one, and uh, you know, kind of changes the end of quarters and uh, like that as well. But I mean, I, I don't, I don't mind it. I think it's a you know a, po- a move in a positive direction. Yeah, I, I am curious. Just a quick follow-up on that, Coach, because you did mention the shot clock. And yeah. I, I know you're not the first person to have mentioned that. It has kind of been the, uh, oh, we promised this school's going to get a new gym with your tuition dollars kind of promise from the OHSAA yeah. the last few years. Uh, where, do you feel that that's the natural next step with a rule change such as this? Yeah, I do. I mean, again, you're making it more difficult to – you know, get back in a game at the end if you're if you're down a few by giving the automatic two, um, and it's just it's the co- the college game has it. You know, if you're trying to prepare kids for the next level, um, you know, other other states have it, and I feel like you know, they feel positive about it. I think it, probably what's holding back the most is the, you know, the operation of it. The you know, getting it into the schools and having someone there to operate it. You know. Uh, is probably the biggest headache in all of it. I don't think it would be that big of a change, um, you know, as far as the, you know, people would be able to adapt to it pretty quickly strategy-wise. Um, I think it's just the implementation of it is probably what's holding them back. But I, I think, you know, we have to get there eventually to keep moving the game in Ohio forward. Talking with Eric Hoover, Old Ford Head Boys basketball coach on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto here from the Frickers Studios. Uh, you mentioned Connor Ernsberger as kind of being your most consistent player, and he has, in fact, you know, been a key player for you over these last few years. What can you tell us about him and, you know, the ways he been ha- has been able to develop into the player he is now? Yeah, he. I mean, he's he's not real big. He's only six foot, but he, he gets like seven rebounds a game. You know, he's a competitor. He knows how to go get it and get in position to get it. He, uh, 
he's not real fast, but he, you know, knows how to get by, get by his guy. You know, he can set him up and, um, you know, use his body and, um, you know, and knows how to find ways to make things happen. You know, he does a great job for us defensively. You know, he takes advantage of, you know, people who, um, you know, don't take good care of the ball. He reads things. He averages a lot of steals for us too. You know, he's a big part of our defense. Um, gives us some more toughness. I mean, I think that's a big one. He's taken like almost 40 charges over the last two years. So he's uh, not afraid to sacrifice his, his body. And uh, I mean, those are big momentum plays. And he's just a, just a competitor who knows how to get the most out of, out of you know, what he has. And really has, you know, been a big key for us in, in uh, the last two years. Then you mentioned the taking the 40 charges over the past couple of years, which I mean, hats off to him. I feel he deserves the ice bath first because right. of that those nights, if that's the case. Um, but look, looking at that aspect defensively, I mean, it really seems like when you guys are on, you're just very few teams can do anything against you guys offensively when your defense really seems to be cooking. Is that something that you've noticed as the years gone on that that's really the case that you know maybe might have like you mentioned with new regal okay first half we were kind of off that second half i mean the d the defense you guys are out there i think you only gave up eight either eight or nine points in the fourth quarter something crazy like that is is that something that you feel as the you get to the postseason you guys are able to put a complete game together defensively and that's something that we should be expecting more of from you guys as the postseason goes forward? Yeah, I think, you know, we've been focused a lot on defense here the last few years, and, and I think we, we only give up about 43 points a game um, on the average. So, you know, we just kind of have uh, just didn't, we just certainly didn't have that mentality uh, last week on Friday, which was Nurego, but, um, you know, I think it's just, you know, uh, as much of a mental thing like you of being determined and have that defensive mindset, we are going to shut people down. And we do create a lot of offense off of our defense. Um, you know, we've got, we're not big, you know, we have a lot of uh, smaller guys. We're generally outsized. Um, you know, we have, we have some, I guess a little length, but um, you know, we're generally uh, a little quicker and uh, have good hands and, you know, get our hands on a lot of things and, and they, they work well together with getting a fast break going off of those things. So we do create a lot of offense that way. And that's probably when we're at our best is when we're getting those um, touches and things on defense. And that's why we try to make the game full court and uh, make them have to handle, handle our pressure um, more than just in a half court situation. And I think that's really when we are at our best and the kids work well together and share the ball well together. And we have, we have four guys averaging, you know, double figures and, so it's, you know, they are very unselfish and a lot of, a lot of different weapons and guys that can, can really hurt you. And when you talk about your team, you know, being able to move in transition and be effective on the fast break, that immediately draws me to Isaiah Perez. Cause like you kind of alluded to when he is, I think at his best, he's able to kind of run in transition and certainly seems like when he's in, uh, in that next gear, 
is one of, if not the fastest guys, you know, around when he's able to, you know, have uh, open space uh, to work with, you know, moving down the floor. What can you kind of say about him? Because I know he's kind of shifted his role a little bit from last year to being more of, you know, your, your primary ball handler. So what can you say about him and what he's able to do? Yeah, and he's gets everything going with his defense, really. I mean, he he can he has such quick hands and he's so quick off the floor. He's not he's five nine, but so they think they can throw over him. And as soon as they do, he just pops off the ground real quick and gets a hand on it, and either somebody gets it or he gets it. We get a lot of a lot of breakaways that way. And you know, he can be a real pest. And he, when he gets going down the floor, he's going to be awfully hard to catch because he is, like you said, really fast. Um, I think it has impacted him a little bit. I was gonna was thinking of that while you were asking the question that he, you know, last year we had another point guard, so he yeah. only handled it, you know, half the time. And, and this year really he is the, the primary ball handler too. So I, I think that has affected his offense where he's, uh, you know, not, he's in different situations um, in our half court, you know, half court offense um, that's affected him a little bit. Um, you know, so I think that's something that we've actually talked about looking at, looking at that and, and, uh, Maybe moving him off the point a little bit sometimes, you know, when we're struggling to see if we can get him going in another way to help us out. Cause he's got great offensive skills. I mean, he shoots uh, 37%, I think from the three point line, uh, which is good. So it's not just like he's all in, all in transition and getting layups. Um, you know, he can get by his guy and uh, in the half court situations also, also, and, and really can knock down open threes. So he's got a, got a well-rounded game and, uh, you know, really, really creates a lot of things for us. And coach, no secret this week, uh, we're, we're actually recording this on Tuesday. Uh, you actually have a gauntlet of a week <laughs> ahead of you. I mean, it, you certainly didn't start it easy with New Regal on Friday. And going into this week, you have Genoa area tonight, since again, we are recording this on Tuesday and then Calvert Friday to close out the week. Uh, obviously take it one game at a time. Or some of the things you've seen from Genoa area so far on tape, or some of the things you might be expecting to see out of them in tonight's matchup. Yeah, they're having a great year too. I think they're well, uh, fourteen and four. Um, they have good guard play. They have a really good big big man. He's six seven sophomore who's outstanding. Um, and we've had some some close battles with them over the last couple of years. You know, we had a a close game last year. Uh, we uh, we played them this summer a couple of times in the summer tournament and, and got really competitive um, in the summer. And I think you know that will kind of kind of carry over. They got a little little bit of a grudge match going with each other there, so it should be a real competitive game. You know, we're trying to bounce back and get things rolling again, and um, you know it's, it's a great way to prepare for a tournament. I think you know you got um, an outstanding team that's going to. You know, give you some different challenges. We got some of the better teams in our district have good post play. So, you know, it helps us to have to be able to defend a, a really good post player like Walter Plants at Genoa. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be a, a good competitive atmosphere, which is what, you know, what you want this time of year going into the tournament. Talking with Old Fort Head Boys basketball coach Eric Hoover here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios Classic. It's 96.7 WBVI, ESPN 1430 AM 105.7 FM. 
WFOB. And as uh, as we've mentioned, brackets were released over the weekend. You guys were the three seed in uh, in that district. I know that there was a different implementation for the way everything was seeded and distributed this year. What what went into that? And you know, did you did you make the choice to have the two sectional games, or how exactly did that work? I didn't know if it was that much different than some of these past seasons. Um, the only difference was the the RPI, how it was, how you got seated really was the only difference. Um, you know, the OHSA put together a formula um, through max preps to uh, set the RPI. So there was no coaches voting on, on where you were seated. And then, but then you got to go place yourself on the bracket, just like we have for forever. Okay. So, yeah. So um, there's a little bit of, I mean, you knew where you were on Saturday morning, what seed you were going to be. And then it's just trying to figure out, you know, what's, what's going to be best. You know, a lot of times like the number one seeds recently, I feel like the people with buy, have not been taking the buys and have been playing that first game. Um, they didn't, neither of them did this year. And I looked around at some of the other brackets and not many people um, refused to buy. They all took them. I think we're, we're on a Wednesday, Friday schedule this year, where it's usually a Tuesday, Friday. I think maybe that short turnaround, probably uh kept people from from playing that first game you know i think it's probably an advantage to get get the tournament jitters out before beforehand and, and, and maybe get a game with a with a lesser opponent but uh that wasn't the case this year so we only have two buys in ours um because we have 14 teams so um, you know as a three seed there was no no buy available so we ended up playing uh two games in the sectional and hopefully <laughs> And with that uh, sectional matchup at already in place, I, I always have been curious about this because the brackets are finalized, everything's in place. There's still some regular season left to be played. This may be a weird question or a little bit odd of a question, so please bear with me on. How do you keep the team motivated and not focus on that playoff matchup that's coming up? As like, hey, we still got some regular season games left. There's still prospect of conference title on the line things like that when the bracket's already been finalized i, I i've always been curious about that so, yeah how I, do you it's keep a, the team focused i don't think it's a i don't think it's a weird question i think it's something that every coach should be you know has to pay attention to and and try to guard against because it's certainly you know you know there are going to be people who look at these games like they're meaningless um which i I disagree with. I would say they're all meaningful. I'm um, I'm totally not one of those people, by the way, as well. That's yeah. why I'm curious. So yeah, um, but I'm sure, and there might be even some kids on the team who look at it that way. I, I'm not, you know, I don't know. Can't get. I wish I could get inside their mind sometimes, but I can't. And uh, uh, but I just think, you know, we're trying to prepare. I mean, that's what you have to approach it as. You're trying to prepare to get yourself better. And so, head scheduling someone like Genoa at this point in the year, I think. Um, helps with that where, where you, you know you're going to be able to get out, out there and compete and um, and it's going to be a tournament like game you know uh, with the level of competition um, usually we're you know playing for a for a league title um, also you know so fortunate that way that we've been in a situation where we're playing for that might not necessarily be the case uh, right now I guess but uh, but we also have a big league rival you know, it just kind of worked out with the luck of the schedule with big league rival with Calvert on, on Friday. So, you know, I think, 
I, I would find it impossible to not be ready to go for for a game like that. Um, and then and then that last week, you know, again, it's just tournament prep and you're, you're working on things that you're going to probably do in the next game, um, you know, and I, you just have to, again, you know, stay on them and about the importance of, you know, being sharp when it comes to the next week. And um, usually they're going to they're going to buy into that. And then last one I got, and it kind of, again, is looking ahead to the postseason, but, and it's been the case, you know, the last few years, so it's not that this year is any, you know, more different than some of these past seasons, but once again, a very loaded district for you guys with, you know, Hopewell, Calvert is the one and two, you guys are the three seed, but then right after that, Mohawk, Canoe and Arlington, you know, all, all in that mix as well. And, you know, it's very likely because of the different matchups that, two of those teams will not be able to make it to the districts just because of how loaded your, you know, district is as a whole. So what does it kind of say about the district that you play in to where it really is kind of like we've talked about these last regular season games being a gauntlet. It's a gauntlet just to kind of be able to make it to that district stage and then give yourselves a chance to, you know, play through, play that out. Yeah. Our our district is loaded with, very talented teams. You know, you look around at some of the other districts and you look, we got a pretty good idea that one or two teams are going to win it. Um, we have six, I think we have six yeah. teams that could legitimately win it. And uh, I, don't, I don't think you could argue any other way. I mean, Hopewell has the best record, but you know, uh, but we were double overtime and, and lost on a last second shot with them. Um, they've been New Eagle beat, or I mean, Calvert beat them once. Um, you know, Nurigal was right there with them both times in the fourth quarter. They just beat Mohawk by two, you yeah. know. So, you know, there's a in, – in Arlington, of course, we don't see them. You know, nobody really sees them around here during the regular season. But, you know, they've had good success in that district in the past. So, you know, there's a lot of teams that could legitimately win it. And, uh, you know, that's – it's good. You like good competitive games. Um, it just it makes it more difficult. Um, and then I guess if it's more difficult, that makes it a little more special if you are able to come out on top. This has been Old Ford Head Boys basketball coach, Eric Hoover. Coach, thank you once again for taking the time to talk with us and good luck throughout the rest of the season. Yep, thank you. Thanks for having me. With that, we'll step aside for a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll look back at Super Bowl Sunday here on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios. The Northwestern Water and Sewer District has two watersheds in Fostoria to get pure water at a low price. Our original watershed is located off of Plaza Drive, and our second location is found near 4th and Finley Streets. If you don't like the taste of well water, try watershed water. Bring your containers and fill up for only a quarter a gallon. Try watershed water today. For more info, go to nwwsd.org. Winter, that means snow, ice, and treacherous traveling. Make sure you have a dependable ride. Deals are happening daily at Warner Economy Corner at the corner of Blanchard and Blanchard. Talk to the guys at Warner Economy Corner and they'll set you up with a quality used vehicle at a great deal. Dependability, smiles, deals, and great customer service are waiting for you at Warner Economy Corner. Deals on wheels happen every day, Monday through Saturday. 
Back we are on the NWO Orthopedics Sports Auto from the Fricker Studios, ESPN 1430 AM, 105.7 FM, WFOB, Classic Hits 96.7, WBVI. Lance Morris, Matt Gottman here with you this Wednesday night. Big thanks to Josh Morgan, sports writer from the AT and Eric Hoover, Old Fort Head Boys basketball coach, for joining us today on the show. If you missed any part of our show or just want to hear it again, head over to WFOB.com, click on the podcast page. You can hear today's show and our shows and interviews from past seasons and of course stop by the Frickers in Finley for their daily specials tonight get their sirloin steak dinner kids eat free all day every day at Frickers download the Frickers app to see more and to place an order find them online at Frickers.com and Matt of course a lot to unpack when uh, looking at Super Bowl Sunday and I know a lot of people were like oh it's boring final score the final score wasn't nine to six so first off it being a little boring not every football game super duper exciting but secondly, we saw a handful of historic things. Of course, it being another overtime game, only second time that's happened, and another time where a player has thrown for and caught a touchdown. And, of course, Christian McCaffrey had another good game, minus that fumble. Mahomes, of course, doing Mahomes-type uh, things. People absolutely destroying Travis Kelsey online for the interaction between him and Andy Reid. But, of course, as you and I well know, and while the actions of it might have been a little over the top it was just because he wanted to be on the field and wanted to prevent that fumble from happening and thinking that he might have been able to prevent that fumble from happening had he been on the field but even even if with all that I think it's about as good a Super Bowl as you could really ask for with all the storylines that were in play and at play throughout the game and heading into the game and then the fact it went to overtime, it's like, oh, of course it's going to overtime. That's that's how this game has felt kind of from like midway through the third quarter. Oh, well, look, I'm, I'm going to unpack them one at a time. I was one of the people that thought the first half was boring. I really was. I, I mean, and it's not boring like, oh, God, I can't watch this. It's so boring. It's It was, it was defense heavy. Yeah. That's usually a boring Super Bowl because most of the, and I'm just going to call it as it is, I say this respectfully, most of the extremely uneducated, oh, look, sports ball fans out there assume exciting games are offense. That first half was still exciting. It was a good defensive back and forth. You could see why these two teams were two of the top defenses in the NFL going into this game as well. It, it was a good first half. The Travis Kelsey thing, look, you and I both played. We, I, I, I played the collegiate level. I've gotten toasty with my coaches in the past. I'm not going to pretend I haven't. The bump that occurred that everyone was freaking out about, that was Andy Reid walked into Kelsey not seeing him. When you watch that, Kelsey was had hit the brakes. Reid walked into him as well. That was a mutual bumping that just was not intended. Him getting animated with Andy Reid, that shows a level of trust towards his coaching staff that he knows he can go off and tell them what he wants to do for the team and be upset, be animated in that moment. And you know what? Andy Reid, listen, when was the next time Kelsey was off the field in that game? You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like you get to a certain level. It's like not to compare Travis Kelsey to Jordan or players like that. He's a phenomenal player. He's easily going to be on the Mount Rushmore tight ends by the end of his career. But when you become a superstar, when you become a player that consistently delivers again and again, you get that kind of leeway. It's just as simple as that. 
you get the benefit of the doubt of, okay, I can come at my coach like this because he knows I'm going to give my all for the, the team and for the game when I'm on the field. It's not about me. It's about I want to help this team win. Now, if he was sitting there complaining, I only have two catches in the first half. Okay, different animal. Completely different animal. But him, when you were reading his lips saying, keep me in there so that expletive deleted doesn't happen again, that's he just wants the team to win and to help the team win. So for everyone that's eviscerating Travis Kelsey, you know what? Get off your high horse. I'm sure you've yelled at a boss in your life at more than one point or a coworker, or a colleague, something like that. Stop. Stop with this pearl-clutching nonsense. And I, I understand what it's really about for a lot of people with Travis Kelsey and the fact they're trying to eviscerate him. Not even going to dig into a lot of the other things. I'm just going to say, stop it, be an adult, and move on kind of thing. But for the actual game itself, getting back to it, yeah, I mean, how can you ask for a better game than the last three seconds of overtime determining the outcome of the game? You know what I mean? Like, that turned into a great finish to the game. Although, not to be a conspiracy theorist, oh, there was that there was that article on, like, so, different social media platforms rolling around of a CBS executive saying that the NFL informed them it was going to be the first double overtime Super Bowl. They were three seconds away from proving that one right. Like, it... It got close, but again, at the end of the day, it was a great game. Um, it's one of those games where I had no vested interest in the outcome, though I think I did get the... Did I pick Kansas City last week when we were talking about it? Uh, let me... I think I might have written it down somewhere. I was saying, I, I thought I said Kansas City like 27-24 or something like that. Keep talking while I look for that. But anyway... Uh, but the game itself, very exciting game. But I am going to state as well, the amount of luck that Kansas City got to come away with that win staggers the mind. How, how does a ball so perfectly land that it deflects off of the side of the foot of one of the blockers on a punt return? And hats off to that McLeod guy seeing that, recognize it, and then trying desperately to get the ball and get possession there. I, I know initially people were trying to give him a hard time, then they saw the replay, like, oh my God, how did he see that? But that that's just the kind of crazy luck that teams at our dynasties tend to get to have go their way. So again, great game. It was fun to watch. Commercials I actually thought were pretty good this year too. I thought it was a pretty solid commercial slate this year. But overall, some very lucky, beneficial performances for Kansas City at just the right time. And you, you, you got to address the other elephant in the room. Patrick Mahomes may be starting to put himself in the conversation as the next GOAT if he's not already there. I mean, kind of hard not to at this point. Three Super Bowls in his first six years in the league, six straight AFC title games. Now what? Three-time Super Bowl MVP. I mean, it's 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 getting hard to ignore or getting hard to dismiss the growing argument that Patrick Mahomes may be the next goat of the NFL, which is just absolutely insane that it happens so quick like that. Not not even a year removed from Tom Brady retiring, we're already discussing the next 
all time great. So I found the piece of paper I thought I had written it down on. I did not, so I don't remember. I feel like you picked the Niners by three, but I could be completely it's wrong. Po- I, I could I I remember saying something to the effect of my head's telling me Kansas City, but my heart says San Francisco type of thing. So I could be wrong. But either way, it, it was a great game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So yeah, that but yeah. Travis Kelsey stuff, everyone get off of his case. You're all just bitter because he's dating Taylor Swift and his brother was voted one of the sexiest men of the year by People magazine. Justifiably I, so I think, for Jason Kelsey, I, I think, might add. I think Jason might have celebrated more than Travis did. <laughs> Jason Kelsey, here's the thing. The Kelsey brothers, first off, are quality representatives of Cleveland, Ohio. Genuine world-class representatives of Cleveland, Ohio. Secondly, they need to be protected at all costs because Jason Kelsey showing up to a Las Vegas after party behind Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey dressed to the nines, wearing a God-blessed luchador mask and dressed like a Halloween character. He looks like the character in a video game when you go to the cutscene and they let you keep your customizations <laughs> Yeah, in the cutscene. So everyone else is dressed all serious and your guy's like painted like a rainbow or something. <laughs> but yeah, I, it, Jason Kelsey party's hard. I mean, shoot, remember the Super Bowl for the Eagles? He showed oh, yeah. up with like dressed like the king of Mardi Gras or something yeah. like that. But oh, goodness. Yeah, it's a, the, the Kelseys are fun to watch. I, I I'm... I would enjoy seeing more of Jason Kelsey, preferably in a Buccaneers or Cleveland Browns uniform if he decides not to hang it up. But yeah, the, so some of the videos and pictures coming out from the after parties were quite amusing. Is Can we officially say Kyle Shanahan now might be either just the most unlucky coach in big games or just maybe doesn't know how to win the big games because he still hasn't won a Super Bowl. Like, what do we do with uh, Kyle Shanahan now? I'm one of the few people in the world who probably gives him a pass for the Atlanta Falcons. I view that he's a coordinator. Yes, he was calling the offense, but he was calling the offense that was scripted with the approval of Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn could have superseded him at any point. He chose not to. So I kind I kind of rest that more on Dan Quinn than I do Kyle Shanahan because make no mistake that Atlanta Super Bowl the Falcons defense just laid an egg for the last quarter and a half as well they gave up twenty five unanswered points when they were supposed to be this dominant defensive force so I I don't necessarily pin the Atlanta one on him but got to call it as it is he's now got a couple NFC title games where he's bombed it with bad decision making the Super Bowl in 2019 with the 10-point lead and he let his foot off the gas. And then this game, uh, just, I don't know how to express it without getting upset. So I'm just, I'm going to try here. I'm going to keep my emotions in check. I'm going to keep them under control. Lance, you might need to pod me down a little bit because I'm pretty sure I'm going (laughs) to scream here in a second. Okay. How do you take the ball first in overtime when both teams get a possession? How? How? Lance, how? How do you do that? Why? Why would you set the pace for what the overtime is going to be? Why? 
in what reality did that like did he black out for a moment and tell them to take the ball thinking it was a brand new game that he was going to get four quarters to do this in like i'm i'm genuinely flummoxed i'm flabbergasted and beyond confused as to what in the ever-loving name of football was he thinking taking the ball to start overtime because in the playoffs you don't get the oh if you get the two-point conversion you win automatically no they still get a possession that's the that was the whole big change with the overtime rules for the postseason to avoid that type of thing. So, I I mean I'm the 2019 one's a little hard to grade on that because it it was a good game, but Kansas City that year, anytime they were down by 10, just absolutely blew the doors off of a team. After that, like that that seemed to be their triggering effect for the remainder of games each time. But this one, I mean, bad luck is really what got them into overtime more than anything else. And a Michigan kicker missing an extra point, even though it was blocked, he did kick it low, which made it blockable. But the decision to take the ball first in overtime may actually rank up there with Pete Carroll electing to pass the ball on the one-yard line the the feigned timeout by Marv Levy, the Leon let fumble in the end outside of the end zone to go down as one of the stupidest decisions in the history of the Super Bowl. So I know Kyle Shanahan has got a good record. He's done phenomenally in San Francisco, more than likely do a contract extension, but Man, I don't know how many more blow it in big game moments he has left in him before reality sets in that this guy just can't close out games. He just can't. His entire pedigree, and you even look at San Francisco over the years, if it's a nail biter, more often than not, they don't come away from that game with a win. They usually blow the doors off of a team and then just outlast them. Which, oddly enough, San Francisco and the Bay Area, that was kind of how Golden State did their thing during their runs. It was just the first three quarters, they just would blow the doors off you and then just hope to God that they could outlast you in the fourth quarter. Kind of the same thing the 49ers do. And it just doesn't necessarily work that well. I mean, yeah, they won the close game against Detroit, but Detroit lost that game more than San Francisco won that game. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like it took Dan Campbell making some monumentally boneheaded decisions for San Francisco to win that close game and to come back and win that game. But when it actually matters, time and time again, he proves that he just cannot cut it. So it's hard to say a a coach that's been to two Super Bowls in his first, what, five years at the helm or six years at the helm? In San Francisco, multiple NFC title game appearances, winning the division a couple times. I just call it as is. There's a chance he could be on the hot seat a little bit going into next season. Because the the fact that they had to say that the reason they lost the Super Bowl is between themselves as a coaching staff and their players. They did not prep for the possibility of overtime 
or take the time to understand the rules is so egregious of a mistake, it kind of bypasses the win-loss records at that point. So I don't know how Kyle Shanahan comes back from this one or how San Francisco does, but that that's that's one of the biggest red flags I've ever heard from a coach. Oh, we didn't know the rule. It's your job to know the rule. So like that, I, I could go on, I could keep going on, but the fact of the matter is Kyle Shanahan absolutely blew it and then admitting to it in the worst possible way after the game. I think that that, uh, that leads perfectly into one of our favorite clips. Yeah. You're an no, idiot. No. You're an idiot and you don't know football. Yeah. Like, yeah. He's a great quarterback coach. He puts together a great team. To be perfectly candid, I think John Lynch is more of a great general manager as opposed to Kyle Shanahan being a great coach because it was Lynch who made the trade for Christian McCaffrey. Lynch was the one that gave Debo Samuel the contract extension. Lynch was the one who drafted Ayuk, helped draft Purdy, got guys like Fred Warner in some of those trades that added more draft picks. I mean, yeah, he also drafted Trey Lance, and that was a big miss, but instead of wasting time at ad not admitting that they made a mistake, getting rid of Trey Lance after, what, two seasons? I believe shows how much they actually understand that they need to move on from mistakes. And honestly, I feel bad saying this. Maybe Kyle Shanahan's the mistake. Maybe Kyle Shanahan's just as I like to say for some coaches out there. Maybe he's just a good babysitter. You know what I mean? I mean, if I had George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Jawan Williams, and Christian McCaffrey with Elijah Mitchell as his backup... I should win 12 games too. It's just, that's what I should do. You sh just should be able to do that. When you get to the Super Bowl, when you get to these big games, that's when it becomes coaching. That's why people are so critical of coaches after games like this. That's why looking at some of the games like from this college football season, why people were so critical of Ryan Day. Elite talent gets you to the big games. Being a great coach helps you win those big games. And I don't know if we can say Kyle Shanahan is a great coach anymore or not because he just doesn't win those games. I think I think the the glorified babysitter. I think that's still a little strong just because in well, the yeah, in, in the regular season he has shown you know time and time again he's had very good regular season teams. It's almost just like almost similar like you mentioned with Ryan Day. It's almost like he needs somebody in his ear like. In those like big moments, like to man, like I know he manages the clock fine, but it's almost like in those situations, it's like he needs a common sense coach or something that's like, hey, I know you want to do this crazy play here. Maybe just a dive play is all you need in this scenario. I think it's almost something as stupid sounding as that. And that would be like the difference between ha them having won that game and lost that game. Oh, sure. And again, like I, like I said, it's when I mentioned maybe he's a glorified babysitter. I don't think that's an absolute because he has proven that he can do a good job. So it's it's not a I'm not sitting there saying, oh, he's 
how do I say this nicely? He's not Steve Kerr with Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant. Buddy, you should win 65 games. Like that when I was like, why isn't Kerr winning coach of the year? Because he doesn't even need to show up, kind of thing. But for for Shanahan, I agree with you. It's to to put it another way, I mean, people our age and people around our age, you hear the joke of I need an adult. And like we realize we're the adults. We're like, no, we need like an adultier adult, like yeah. someone who worries about their 401k and watches golf channel kind of thing. I feel like Kyle Shanahan's like, I need a coach, but you are a coach. No, a coachier coach. Someone who can be in my ear and say, Yeah, don't throw an out pattern on third and two. You have Christian McCafferty run behind your all pro left tackle and get the first down and keep the drive going. It's not that complicated. Like that, I, I will agree with you on that. It, it does seem may, maybe that Ryan Day comparison is a little more spot on than I thought. It's 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 also funny in that the coach your coach is probably his dad. You know what? Real talk. <laughs> yeah. Like Mike should have gotten on the phone with him saying, "You have Terrell Davis two point Why is he not touching it forty <laughs> times in this game? Like, what are you doing? I raised you better. Call your mother." Call your mother. I dropped the ball on the I have an all-pro <laughs> running back thing. You need to talk to your mother about this. Like, it's it it, it blows my mind when I see stuff like that. It really does. Because uh, it's very similar to, you know, what we saw with Detroit. It's like, yeah, they passed the ball and did some good things throughout the passing game over the season. But it was their ground game that was the difference. Then they get to the NFC title game, and they're passing like 42 times. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Of Christian McCaffrey, if he doesn't touch the ball 45 times a game, you have done something wrong with your offensive strategy. Just as simple as that, especially in that kind of game. So, I, yeah, it's uh, the pa- Papa Mike should have given him a call and been like, What in God's name are you doing down there? This is the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Lance Morris, Matt Common here with you this Wednesday night talking about the Super Bowl. And let's, uh, take a little bit of a lighter note and stick with the Super Bowl, the halftime show. Fire. A hundred percent fire. No notes. I'm I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. The first, I'd say probably like half everything up until Lil John came out. And I was like, eh, like not terrible, but I was expecting a little more. Now, once you got Lil John and Ludacris and all them out there, I was like, okay, yeah, this this is this is what I had in mind. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, what when I watched, I mean, uh, I, no secret, I'm older than you. You're like 12, 12. maybe 13. Now, I might let you gr- go up another year. Oh, a real teenager. You're you're a real teenager now. But um, in all seriousness, yeah, like it was. First part of the halftime show is like a little more dance heavy. I think whoever works at Allegiant Stadium who handles the live mics needs to be fired into the sun. <laughs> um, just like this is some of Usher's best stuff. And we're only hearing like every third word because the mic is not working. Yeah. Which, by the way, a wonderful endorsement for the wireless capabilities <laughs> of Cox Cable. Which I've been seeing throughout the entire week of we're powering the world's biggest game at yeah. the biggest stadium. Cool. You can't get the microphone to go back to the sound system, though, so we're just going to keep that in mind going forward. But, yeah, I mean, 
you've seen the memes online. I'll just echo one of them. As soon as Lil John and Ludacris showed up, it was like watching the Avengers assemble. Yeah. <laughs> again, just absolutely made the show. And Alicia Keys, I mean, at the yeah, the first note people bring that up, and the NFL's edited it since then, which is really strange, but yeah. not important. But she blew the doors off of the place with her vocals as well. I mean, it was it was just a good show. It is it one of the all time greats? I don't know. It's a little fresh. I might have to think about it. I think Prince's will still always be number one. But that was a really good halftime show. It, the, the second half of it absolutely redeemed the issues of the first half and made it an all-time classic. I do want to get uh, a little nerdier with you and kind of get a, a little inside baseball, as it were, uh, because the, the booth of Jim Nance and Tony Romo has certainly had their share of detractors over at least the last few seasons. Well, Tony Romo has had the detractors, not necessarily correct, Jim Nance. Correct. Just go on. Just speaking as as a whole of the booth in general. But I think those problems kind of came to a head with the game ending call and not allowing it to breathe as you and I know as people in this industry and Tony Romo just comes in there doesn't really say anything that really needed to be said in that moment, especially on TV when you can just let the pictures and let all that carry. And that's, uh, I don't know if that's going to be the, the nail in the coffin for his, you know, time at the top booth, so to speak, because there's different ways CBS can go. But with all the murmurs that have been over the last few years where they essentially had the version of an intervention with him to like have him work more and that seemingly not doing what it was intended to do. And with now Tom Brady now seemingly being ready for the number one spot on Fox, that means Greg Olson's going to be available if CBS wants to do what they did, you know, five or six years ago at this point when they made the crazy at the time seeming switch to just go straight to Romo. So I think the problem is Romo had success too early. I, I mean, people made the ongoing jokes of he would, he would Romo things like completely call right what the next play was going to be. And he did it multiple times a game, his, his first year as a broadcaster. And I, I kind of think it got to his head a little bit and he didn't really develop his game much more after that. But I'll, I'm with you. I mean, I, I thought Nance had a great call. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I made no secret. I posted on social media. I think Kevin Harlan had the best call for the Super Bowl by far, but he he's the, when we grow up, we all want to be Kevin Harlan. Let's just call it as it is. But in terms of Nance and Romo, yeah, it it might be the straw that breaks the camel's back, especially if Greg Olson becomes available. I, I think he's Olson does a great job with it. I, I think he's too good of a candidate to pass up on if he does become available, because that Romo does a good job breaking things down when he chooses to. Right. Otherwise, he tries to be more like in the emotion in the moment. So. Truthfully, I, I kind of view it like a little bit like when you and I have a blowout game when I'm doing a game with you. If it's a blowout, I'm, I get a little bit more comedic because it's really hard to provide analysis for a beating. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Romo does that in good games, though. That's the yeah, problem. Right. That's the issue. Like, in those moments, especially for that one, like when we had the Callie Gregory record, we kind of kept our mouths shut and let the PA announcer do most of the lifting there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like, that. that's what Romo doesn't necessarily understand. I think that's going to be the nail in the coffin for him is you got to let things breathe. Not everything needs to be a punchline. Greg Olson is funny, but he dissects plays so well. Yeah. Being a tight end. Like, he understands the blocking aspect of it, the route running with the quarterback. He understands it to a level that, frankly, I don't think quarterbacks really can. Because he had to play multiple dynamics over his career. So, yeah, if they could get Greg Olson, sign me up for that. Olson and Jim Nance, that'd be a great tag team. Especially because you kind of look at the landscape of the top booths across just football and it's like okay well if brady's going to fox he's he's going to be their number one they signed him to that mega deal so that's yep that's gonna be there cbs you now have to wear the doors a little open nbc you're not pushing chris collinsworth out yet and in terms of you know even amazon herb street's not going anywhere unless amazon decides to make some you know, big radical changes. So and and the, ESPN ain't going to change from Aikman and Buck. Correct. ESPN's not going to change from their top team of Aikman. That, and that, Buck. They so, spent way too much money to get Aikman. And right. Buck. So it's like, especially when Olson has not, and it's it's a crazy situation just because of how the situation has developed to where he is there, and then it's like, oh well, we got Brady to this deal, so it's going to be Brady when Brady's ready. Like the fact that they had that deal already in place made it that much more interesting of a situation to where it's like, okay, aside from just the pay cut that it would be going from one to two on Fox's, you know, broadcast roster, it's just the notoriety of you went from, I mean, he called not the Super Bowl we just had, he called the Super Bowl before. So he's already called one Super Bowl and to go in the negative direction, even if it's because of someone as good as Tom Brady, who had the career that Tom Brady did, Olsen, he's, and he's said this himself in the past. He didn't want to go without a fight and wanted to make it to where he was able to keep his name in the first booth discussion, whether it be at Fox or elsewhere. And I think over these next few months, we might in fact see some sort of discourse in that regard. Yeah. And, and frankly, we kind of need to, I, I mean, if Greg Olson is going to be available, it's kind of same way as when Tom Brady became available as a free agent. Suddenly, everybody's quarterback room was up for debate. Kind of the same thing here. I mean, Greg Olson, if he becomes available, he, he did a great job. Like, when he first started, he was a little hit and miss, but he really has developed his broadcasting game. He's top tier now. So, for me, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I, I think that discourse needs to happen. Not so much that Tony Romo is – he's not bad. I, I think the people that are vilifying him, it's a little much. He's not amazing, but he is better than most. I mean, it's he with respect, I love him to death. I will always consider him one of the best. But towards the tail end there, John Madden was saying things that basically boiled down to, hey, look, there's a guy who's got mud on his jersey. The the game had kind of passed him by. Tony Romo is not anywhere near that stage, but I I think he needs a year in the minor leagues. Yeah, as it were. Kind of needs to get demoted. I think Greg also would be an ideal replacement for him. 
Just about out of time. Let's take a look at some other things going on in the world of sports. The Warriors apparently, and I saw this this morning, apparently tried to trade for LeBron at the deadline. The Lakers and LeBron both said no. I know you're, of course, naturally a Warriors hater, but it would have been very interesting to see LeBron uh, plopped onto that uh, Warriors team this year. Now, I think the amusing part of that would have been that Andrew Wiggins somehow will have gotten traded involving LeBron James again. Yeah, that would have been funny. Like, it's like he, he was the most hyped player coming out of college in years. I was like, oh, is he the next LeBron James? And he has literally been shopped around the NBA anytime LeBron James has an inkling <laughs> of moving on somewhere. Just, I'm getting to the point, I actually kind of feel bad for the guy. He's a good player. He's a pretty good player. Just, man. Yeah, no, you totally got me. I, I hate Golden State. I refuse to accept the idea that LeBron would have been on the Warriors, but <laughs> would have made for an interesting team nonetheless. The Orlando Magic. In fact, my Orlando Magic. Your Orlando Magic. They finally retired their first jersey. Naturally, it was number 32 for Shaq, and of course, needless to say, long overdue. But now they, of course, have the problem that the next two guys in line, and this is if you're going to pass over Dwight Howard for the time being, the next two guys in line to have their jersey retired, they both wore the same jersey. They both wore number one between Penny Hardaway and Tracy McGrady. So I don't know exactly how you do that. If, like, you just say, we're retiring one, we're giving each their jersey in the rafters, they each deserve it. But it also just it just looks weird if you're going to do it like that. I mean, that's how I do it, because the fact is Hardaway wasn't, his jersey wasn't retired yet when T-Mac was there. So I'm, that, truthfully, between the two of them, and this may be a bit of a hot take, I'd probably retire McGrady's before Hardaway. Just because Hardaway was great. He was phenomenal. He was an instrumental player to that Orlando Magic squad in the early and mid-90s. Injuries kind of derailed him a little bit quicker. T-Mac, I think, had a longer sustained level of success in yeah. Orlando. So, like, if we were to split hairs, I'd go T-Mac first and then Penny Hardaway. So I'd technically re retire Tracy McGrady's number one, but in the process also retire Hardaway's number one. That, that's just my two cents. And I'm not a huge Magic fan, so... If I'm stepping on toes, I apologize, but I would like your thoughts on that too. Yeah, no, I think I, I if you're if you're going to talk about the totality of their career, specifically with what they did in Orlando, McGrady definitely did more for Orlando just overall as a player. But of course, just with already now having retired Shaq's jersey, it's like Penny and Shaq go hand in hand in their spot in magic history which is why oh sure which is why i think at some point you retire his jersey even if tracy mcgrady did more with the number what hardaway did was very instrumental to the magic in that franchise just because remember the magic hadn't been a franchise for that many years when they got the guys they like penny and Correct. Shaq. yeah I, I mean the way i look at it hardaway hardaway falls in the same category for me to use Cleveland perspective falls under the same category for me as like a Mo Williams or a Kyrie Irving. You know what I mean? Like the longevity may not have been there with that team, but what he did there was so instrumental to building that team up. I mean, Mo Williams, God love him. He stuck around after LeBron left, 
but he was a key he was the number two guy behind LeBron for a good two, three years beforehand, then came back with the title run in 2016. But like for Kyrie Irving, he was great from 2011 to 2017 and then wanted nothing to do with the team anymore. He still should get his number retired whenever that day comes, or frankly, if he comes back to reality a little bit in some of his things. But for Hardaway, I kind of view it in the same way. The, the longevity is not there, but the effort and what he meant to the organization definitely still should get his number retired. The probably easiest way to put it is imagine D Rose just without the peak peak MVP type play, just like a little step down from that. That's just what we got. And then his career essentially came to a screeching halt. Exactly. I mean, that's what Penny Hardaway is right up there with some of the other players over the course of history. I mean, I, I look like Larry Johnson for the Charlotte Hornets for, in that regard, maybe uh, to some extent, Dwight Howard, even though he did have a long career, uh, Jay Williams, what he was able to do as a rookie in the second year before he got injured. Penny Hardaway's on that list of incredible what ifs he stayed healthy that I, I think he would have been one of the all-time greats by far would have been one of the all-time greats. And we talked about it within the last few weeks, but with pitchers and catchers starting to report across Major League Baseball, it is worth bringing up again. Blake Snell, Cody Bellinger among some big-name free agents that are still unsigned, and Blake Snell literally won the Cy Young in the NL last year. I mean, teams, you got to pony up some money, get these guys on rosters. It's kind of crazy. Well, what I heard at this point, big rumors that I'm letting out here, big rumors from inside sources, Apparently, the Cleveland Guardians are offering Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger 15-year, $500 million contracts each because they finally decide to spend money. Also, I'm six foot four, 280 pounds, and my real name's actually Joe Thomas, and I'm a Hall of Fame offensive lineman for the Cleveland Browns in this fantasy land. I have no idea why they're not signed. Like, that that's one of the dumbest things I've seen with this modern era of baseball, these owners and these management teams trying to wait out these fantastic players to hope to get them on the cheap. They don't. Then they just end up signing with the Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, or whatever teams just get throw money their way. And those four teams just get better. Where teams like the Diamondbacks who made the World Series on a good run, could you imagine that Diamondbacks team with Blake Snell in their rotation? Oof. If they were willing to throw some money down? My God, the, the rotation, I mean, sell the team, Dolan, before I even go further. Sell the team. Your, your one family member's an absolute bum running for Senate, and you guys are cheap as all get out. Sell the team. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, could you imagine with the pitching and the, the bullpen that Cleveland has, adding Bellinger to their outfield? It would it would be awesome. They they'd be in a hundred win team because the thing that they've complained about time and time again is they don't have power hitting outside of Jose Ramirez, and it's true. It's just true they do not. Nailers might develop into power hitters, but I'm not getting my hopes up. I'd rather just sign Cody Bellinger and say go hit ball far. What else you want me to do? Go hit ball far. It's as simple as that. Or like that just, it, it frosts me to no end because these guys are getting weighted out. Maybe they sign with a small market team on like a flyer. But the fact of the matter is they're probably just waiting at this stage for one of the bigger teams to throw a bigger contract their way. 
Because at this stage, I'd be insulted if I were one of them. That I haven't heard from any of these organizations. They're trying to wait me out for a cheaper contract. Nah, forget them. I'll just wait for the Dodgers to call me back if I'm Bellinger. I'll wait for the Padres to call me back if I'm Snell. Because eventually someone's going to get hurt and they're going to need me. And I get to go to a team that's going to pay me and I'll probably win a World Series. So it's, I don't know. It, it, it frosts me to no end. And th this all started several years back with Prince Fielder Jr. when they were stalling him out when he wanted big money. And it's just progressed since then into this just ridiculousness. However, Shohei Otani can get almost a billion dollars. But Blake Snell and Cody Bellinger are still sitting on the sidelines without a team. Make it make sense to me. I don't think I can. Yeah, no, it's... And again, Otani is amazing. Do I think he's worth $800 million? No. No, I do not. I, I cannot emphasize that enough. I simply do not, especially with the fact that he is not going to pitch this year and he's going to be another year older, removed from Tommy John surgery before he's able to pitch again. It's, I don't trust it. I think it's a bad contract. And I think history will vindicate me on that one as time goes on. But Bellinger could help a lot of these small market teams right now if they were just willing to pony up some extra cash. There is no salary cap. These are just owners being cheap, being petty, and being pathetic, and fan bases deserve better than that. I, I just I keep going back to the Dolans in Cleveland. Cleveland needs a power hitter. Bellinger would fit a need in the outfield at designated hitter. Heck, you could even have him play first base if you really want to. I know that's Naylor's spot, but you could have him play in the infield if you need to. He fits so many things that you need. But because he's more than a veteran minimum, you're not even reaching out to him. You cheapskates. You absolute cheapskates. And I'm so tired of the owners being so cheap in Major League Baseball because it's turning it into four teams, L.A., New York, Texas, and Houston, and also San Diego there, so five teams, spending all their money, and the rest of the organizations in baseball are just the Washington Generals, and they're the Harlem Globetrotters. There is no point. There's no point getting your hopes up. Major League Baseball needs to step in, and I'm, I can't believe I'm saying this part. They need to do a two-parter. They need to force a minimum payroll threshold, and they need to implement a salary cap. Between those two things, force teams that – force teams – Cleveland, their payroll this year as an organization – is going to be $20 million less than Shohei Otani makes by himself. That's inexcusable. Set a, set a minimum payroll, make a salary cap, bring some parity back to baseball. And if they don't, two things are going to happen. I, someone's going to hit them and they're going to hit the ground. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, no, what's going to happen is no one's going to complain about it. The owners are going to continue to bank profits, and it'll be Dodgers, Yankees, or Dodgers, Rangers in the World Series. That's the, And we're all going to say, what a great World Series it was, and nothing will change. I'll just about do it for us today. Big thanks to Josh Morgan, sports writer from the AT, along with Eric Hoover, Old Fort Head Boys basketball coach, for joining us today on the show. And join us this weekend for coverage of high school basketball Friday on Classic Hits, SBC River Action, Calvert taking on Old Fort.
Friday on WFOB Fall Story, a basketball as they take on Eastwood. And then Saturday night, SBC versus BBC action. Hopewell Loudon will go up against Riverdale. That'll be Saturday on both stations at about 6.30. For my broadcast partner, Matt Common, this is Lance Moore signing off for this edition of the NWO Orthopedics Sports Huddle from the Fricker Studios. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one.